If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Better Nation, this is your host, Dr. Erica, and I'm back with a new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. This episode will be an exciting discussion about finding hope in the midst of challenges and ways to persevere through different seasons of your life. Now, I know you're wondering who my guest is. It's Dr. Angela Thomas. She is affectionately known as Dr. A, is a teen mom turned doctor who helps women soar by teaching them how to apply life-changing methods of mindset, resilience, and action to slay odds and achieve results. (laughs) I need to say it one more time. Slay odds and achieve results. Her story is intriguing, so you don't want to miss a moment of this. Now, the questions this episode will answer are, how do you have hope in situations that seem hopeless? How do you adjust as your vision for life changes? How do you make space for yourself in the midst of stress and a busy life? How do you navigate through the church when people there are judging you? Whether you are dealing with trauma, tragedy, or loss, or dealing with life changes, there's something for you in this episode. So rather than me talk your ear off, let's get to it. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, Better Nation. This is your host, Dr. Erica, and I am back with another episode of Better with Dr. Erica. I'm not going to sing it because my singing voice is atrocious, even though one of my guests told me not to label it, that everybody's voice is a good voice. Um, I have one of those voices even my mother doesn't love when I'm singing, but you know, I'm, I'm working on gaining confidence when I am not speaking. So I'm so excited about this new episode. It's going to be something that you're going to want to lean in, stay till the very, very end, because this guest I have today, you don't want to hear this. Now I'm already, I'm, I'm sitting here in my computer looking at my lovely guest who you probably already heard the intro. So my guest is Dr. Angela Thomas, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. But as I said, we started this off in season three. I'm not reading all the bios, despite the fact that I am quite literate. That's not my jam. Um, So are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. I know you're ready because you already hit play and are here. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep you in suspense forever, ever, 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 ever. So The one quick thing I'm going to say about my guest is her name is Dr. Angela Thomas. Now, the kind of cool thing is when you look at her, she has a million letters behind her name. 
I only, I don't have this many letters behind my name and I got a few letters, but she got letters. You know, there's a doctor in public health here. There's a master in public health here, an MBA. So she's got all the letters. So she's super smart, y'all. But the kind of cool thing about it is she's not that she's my guest because she is super smart. But the main reason she's my guest is she has something to say that's going to be helpful. And also she's really relatable. So this isn't going to be one of those things that's hearing a conversation with somebody with all the letters and everyone's using five and six syllable words talking about random stuff that should be a textbook. That's not what we're doing here today. So I just want to let you know, even though I'm impressed with all the letters, you're going to get a good conversation today. So rather than me talk about my guests forever, Dr. Angela Thomas, also known as Dr. A, can you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Well, yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Dr. Erica. This is fun. I'm so excited about this conversation. Um, wow, I don't know where to start. Um, I'll, I'll start kind of at the beginning, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, Detroit a girl. Um, then went on to Ann Arbor, go blue um, for the University of Michigan. But my story really, the anchor of it is being a teen mom who um, my mom was shot three years before I became a teen mom. And, um, and really just those two events, navigating those to eventually earning the letters you talked about. But it's not about the letters, as you, as you said. It's about the journey and the lessons. And so now um, I'm a healthcare executive and professor and faith-based leader, unapologetically Christian, and, um, and really seek to help others, use my story to help others so they can overcome ob obstacles as well and achieve the results uh, that God has for them. I am down for all of that. Now, before we got started, one of the things I had to tell Dr. A is I had to step away from the computer a hot second and get my tea because I, I just can't podcast without my tea. So I'd love to know from you, what is your favorite drink, Dr. A, and why? Oh, gosh. This is, it's not exciting at all. Like, I drink a lot of water. <laughs> like, a lot of water. Um, and it's because probably I had a season where Coca-Cola was my favorite drink and my, my, my insides didn't like it. So, um, so there you go. It's probably water. I'm trying to think when I, when I do deviate, what do I turn to? Ooh. There's nothing wrong with water. <laughs> it's just, I'll drink a lot, like a lot of water. You can, you can see me on video, but they can't, but it's a lot, like a lot of water. <laughs> How does drinking water make you feel? It, it's great. It makes me feel fresh and like, um, like I'm cleaning things out in the inside and, Keeping them joints moist. I got, you know, I'm getting yeah. older. So I got I got a few crooks and crannies and, and these knees and things. So Well, we yeah. can stay with the water. I mean, it sounds like it makes you feel so fresh and so clean, clean. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So, so I'm here so for I'm, it. I'm down for the water. <laughs> so one of the things you you started hitting upon is all of these things that happened early, early in your life, like to the point where when I was reading your bio, I felt like I almost needed to go get EMDR from reading it. Like, I'm like, I don't know how she, this is a testament to, to you, your village and your faith that we can even have this conversation. For sure. Um, when I started reading all of, of the things, can you talk a little bit about how you were able 
to have hope, even though all of these, all of these traumatic things were happening to you? Yeah. So I really like to anchor it back into when my mom was shot. So the, the Cliff Notes version of that story is that she was a probation officer um, for the state of Michigan in Detroit, Michigan. And she had a client she was going to send, right, recommend go back to prison. He had violated probation. And apparently that was a problem for that client. And he paid a hitman to have her bumped off. So she was shot five times in her stomach in front of my grandparents' house when I was 12 years old. Um, and she lived to survive. Um, and, and the reason why I anchor the journey there, not only because there's trauma in the event, um, but because she, when she gives her story, she talks about how when she was laying on the ground, God gave her a choice whether to live or to die. And she mm. chose to live. And it was in that choice that then folks started coming out of their houses, uh, neighbors she grew up with, et cetera. Ambulances started to come and, and those efforts saved her life. And so from there, I really learned the power of choice. You know, you can't, you can't always choose what happens to you in life, but mm -hmm. often most times, if you're here to talk about it, you have the choice on how you react to it. So, so fast forward three years later, um, four years later, I, a bunch of my own bad decisions, being a really great student, but making some bad decisions and, and boys and all kind of mm -hmm. stuff, um, I found myself pregnant. And, you know, hid that for like four months. Like I was, mm. I was a champ at hiding that thing. And um, got to the point where I really didn't have a choice in the matter but to carry forward with the pregnancy, but really wanted to choose to carry forward mm. with the pregnancy. And as a senior in high school with dreams of becoming a doctor, um, I just didn't know how that would pan out for my future. I didn't want a future that looked like the typical teen mom, you know, mm -hmm. um, reliance on government assistance, et cetera, life of poverty. I just, I certainly didn't want that. And so I found myself in a place where I had to make a choice. I had to choose whether I was going to let those bad decisions and, and the situation I found myself in be the, the marker of my life, or would I choose a different path? And admittedly, that different path wasn't going to be an easy path, but but I but I could make a choice to still make something out of my life, regardless of the decisions that I, and and things that I had gone through. So, um, and I learned that from my mom, you know, in seeing her overcome trauma um, and and heal from that. Um, and so I made a decision that I would still go college, went to the University of Michigan, baby in tow, five and a half months old. Mm -hmm. We we went to family housing. That was my dorm, you know, was family housing, raising a baby and figured out how to make college work. That was before internet was all popping like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had to figure it before cell phones really was a thing. So really that was my, my life. Daycare, wake up, daycare, go to class, study, go to work, pick up kid, um, take care of kid, repeat, you know, go to sleep, repeat. And, um, 
And and it worked. It worked out. It wasn't easy. A lot. You you use the term family and village when you in my intro. Absolutely. A lot of faith. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, that's the heart of the story. So how how did it feel in that time period leading up to that? big choice that you mentioned, that choice of of deciding that you were going to do what needed to happen for you to still go to college and to have a life that didn't look like what felt like was the typical teen mother. How Mm -hmm. were you feeling leading up to that moment of choice? When I first took the pregnancy test, um, I was at my girlfriend's house. Our moms were out of town. We took, I took the test. She was with me, saw that it was positive and literally we dismissed it. Like it was, oh. we, we, it was like, oh, okay, it's positive. Let's go about our business. So this denial phase, right? Okay. Um, not, not verbally saying, oh, it says I'm pregnant. I'm not just kind of ignoring the fact that this is the fact. <laughs> and so just kind of going on with life, like the rest of my 16, 17 year old peers. Mm-hmm. And that was in the summer. And then uh, um, I went into my senior year and things obviously started to change in my body, started to get more tired, you know, but I was I was thin as a rail. And so I just would be, wear big clothes. That was the thing back then. I would just wear big clothes. And so I was able to hide it pretty well. But what was happening was, is that colleges were coming to our school. It was one mm-hmm. of the best schools in Detroit, still is, um, was coming to our school recruiting. And it began to hit me the more I started to hear these recruiters talk about college, like, I don't know how that's a reality for me. And that scares me. And so then I started to get to scared, <laughs> like, like really scared, still hiding it from my mom. And you have to understand my mom was, was and still is a minister. And so I also have shame on this other mm. side, right. Of being a, a preacher's kid and being raised in the church. And now everybody will see my scarlet letter at some point. So I have the shame I'm dealing with. So really scared. My parents have recently gotten divorced though. So it's not like, and my mom's still healing from the shooting. So really like pressure into when I reveal this, what's gonna happen. So I told my younger brother, um, who was my, my one of my closest confidants then, and telling him, like, in hindsight, giving him that kind of weight to carry. Like, I would totally do that differently. And then my older brother was in college. And so um, share that with him. Oh, okay. He's trying to play basketball on a scholarship. And there's a weight. So I remember him saying to me, whatever you do, um, make sure you call me before you tell mom. I didn't do that. So how I tell my mom, I... I muster up the this courage in a moment where I was already in trouble. So I went to, I was working at a video store and, um, and the manager Ooh, let you, me you, off. You took us back. To I know, store. like VHS tapes. Like, oh, like, I, I, I remember the video you remember, store. You remember? I remember before there was Blockbuster and there were the mom and pop videos. That's the, what, it was the mom and pop. And Blockbuster was across the street and I was at the mom and pop. And I worked there from age 14 to 17. And so I was working at this video store. And the manager left me off early because it was slow. So I take my little car and I go to my boyfriend's house in that little time. Well, my mom 
she was getting her hair done. And so she was so excited about her new hairstyle. She decides to come up there and show me her new hairstyle. Well, I wasn't there. And mm. so she calls, she calls around, calls my girlfriend, called, can't find me. So I walk in the door at the time I'm supposed to walk in the door as if I just got off work and let her tell it all of my, my earring was off and my clothes was off. Let her tell it. I look like I was up to no good. And, and immediately, like, she was just like, where you be? And I start lying. Anyway, long story short, I get in trouble. She takes my, my car keys away. And in this, and then I tell her as she's like, mad as heck walking away from me. Well, since you're mad at me, I might as well tell you that I'm pregnant. Mm. It's the most whack way. Like, <laughs> I have this vision. I don't even know what your mama looked like of a head spinning <laughs> around. And, and <laughs> stopped her in her tracks, took her breath away. And, and, you know, channeling where I was in my head at the time, I was just so scared of everything that would come on the other side of telling that I felt like she was already there. So this oh. was my opportunity, you know, and it's still, it's still as much as I try to rationalize, it's still very whack, but, but that's where, that was what, what my headspace was. And, um, and, and so now I'm scared. I really still am scared. Like what she's about to do. She calms down that nervous calm when you know somebody is just angry and they go like, mm -hmm. so she, she calms down. She says, come here. She, um, so I, I walk over to her. She lifts up my shirt, fills my belly. Yep. You're pregnant. Tells me to go upstairs because she's about to call my dad. Now my dad is really mild mannered, like really mild mannered, but I still I'm scared more of disappointing my dad than anything else. So she she hollers up the stairs. Your dad is on the phone. So I pick up the phone that's in my room. You know, back then it was like, <laughs> it's a landline that I just Jimmy rigged to get in my room. So I pick up the phone. And he just said, it's going to be okay. It's just all mm -hmm. going to be okay. And in that moment, I, I switched from scared to peace and hope. Not know, not okay. necessarily knowing how it was all going to shake out, but I believed him when he said it was going to all be okay. okay. And and from there, I saw my mom go into business mode. I'm like four and a half months pregnant. I haven't seen a doctor, so she, so oh. I've got to go into prenatal care, all kind of stuff. And so she goes into business mode and really not processing her own feelings of um, dealing with a 16 year old who is pregnant here. Um, my baby is about to have a baby. Like, how do I navigate that? Just, just, just business. And my dad went into really, really care, like a care mode. Um, and I went into, I'm gonna, I gotta prove people wrong kind of mode. Okay. So, so what does this look like? So I started my ear to the college recruiters changed to how can I make that work? You know, there's gotta be a path to make this work. And there was one recruiter, I still can't remember what school, that mentioned family housing. And I was just like, boom, that's it. That's it. How do I know about more about that? Okay. And so I did research on the schools in Michigan and to see which ones had family housing. It was University of Michigan, Michigan State, Eastern, Eastern University, and then Wayne State, I could stay at home. I'm sure others had them, but those are the ones I looked at okay. and applied to all of them and got into all of them and decided 
to, to go to University of Michigan because it was my mom's alma mater. It was away, but not too far, that kind of stuff. And um, just really just found paths, you know, got connected to my college best friend who also was trying to navigate college with a kid, you know, um, who connected me to another girl who was trying to navigate college oh, with a wow. kid. So we, we, we established community. I found the, the gospel chorale up there, created more community. So, um, yeah, I, my, my emotions ran the gamut. Um, I, it still wasn't perfect. I still was trying to deal with a broken relationship on and off with, with the dad, the dad not really doing what he needed to do. Um, so it still wasn't perfect by any stretch, but definitely found a village and activated my existing village and just resolved that my college experience wasn't going to look like my peers who graduated okay. with me from high school. And it didn't. Well, there are a few things. Well, number one, I just want to say thank you for your transparency and being open to share your story, because there are so many things in your story that I feel really are applicable to so many people that even their story is not exactly the same. And one thing I, I noticed that you, there were a couple of things I want to kind of pick out. Number one is I hope at this point, someone has told you there was no perfect way to tell your parents. You're pregnant. <laughs> so I, as, as a Harvard trained double board certified psychiatrist that is not giving you therapy, but is having a conversation. Um, I think it's time to release that because there's there's no there was no good way to do that. That is news. Nobody's parent. The only people want to hear that you're pregnant is when you either married or you're in your 30s and 40s and they still want that grandkid. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> so I, I feel like that's one of those things I heard that I was like, there's no way you could have told them that would have would have been perfect because the news itself. Right. It's, yeah. It's, and then also like kind of the the context. And I, I love that you started bringing out the idea of shame. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more because there are so many contexts that people deal with shame. And shame is one of those one of those emotions that is so powerful, but I feel like we don't talk about enough probably I guess because nature is to hide shame anyway okay. so so the the general kind of party line of shame is we don't talk about shame like shame doesn't exist and we just try to maneuver around like it's not here or hide okay. whatever we think we should feel ashamed for even though three I'd say 85 to 90 percent of the time it's not something nobody else has experienced anyway <laughs> Uh, but it just holds so much emotional weight and baggage. Um, but I love that you brought out some things that we talk about. I have this concept called the better 70, seven essential things that are important for you to have the, a better life. And and the fact that you really move through support, one okay. of them is support, and figuring out how you could utilize these different communities to be what you need, especially in a situation where I also noticed you talked about acceptance and that period of accepting that I didn't plan to get pregnant. I am pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm graduating in my life going forward, especially in college is not going to be the same as my peers. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, I think for a lot of people getting to a space to be able to accept 
whatever is going on in your life is huge Mm -hmm. because the avoidance usually causes more stress than the thing that we even need to accept. Mm -hmm. The amount of mental energy it, it, it takes to, to literally fight with your own life. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's exhausting. It can be exhausting. It's totally exhausting. And mm-hmm. we, we see it, I see it a lot now too, especially in, in the context of even all of the things that have happened with this whole huge push of racial injustice and, and the pandemic and just general adulting people having to come out of the workforce to take care of their kids when they were homeschooled, just all, all of the things. And, and just getting to this point of accepting that for most people, life is not going back to the way it was pre COVID. That life is over. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't mean that life you have now has to be bad. It's just for a lot of people, things are, different and it's the same way when people start losing I'm at the age now I'm not saying how old I am right now but a lot of my peers people I'm blessed I still have two living parents Mm -hmm. but people are losing their parents people are losing their siblings people are losing close friends that you know it's just a different life better with Dr. Erica it's time for the better mental health tip are you stressed out from constantly running Does thinking about your schedule make your neck and shoulders tighten up and make you want to just go back to bed? Here's a tip. Add 10 to 15 minutes into your schedule to transition between activities. It will interrupt that constant running, give you a chance to breathe, and allow you to reset. This will make you slow down enough to decrease overwhelm and anxiety. If you want to take it to the next level, put that time on your calendar. You've got this. Back to the show. I know we've talked about all of these things and we haven't even really gone into, and there's not time to go into every single thing because it's so much. It would be like, (laughs) like a three episode bonanza. Um, you know, first, you know, noted that huge trauma of your mom being shot five times in front of your grandparents' house. Um, and then navigating your own experience in that in the context of your mom having her own experience when you all were going through all of this did you all manage that well uh, two questions for you one is because you were still pretty young at that time Mm -hmm. were you able to realize that you had experienced something traumatic and number two did anybody in the family actually get professional help to manage with the trauma Sure. Um, definitely knew something bad happened. I don't know that we had the wherewithal to know that it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being Detroit kids, there's a part of that that's a little bit it comes with the territory a little bit, which is mm-hmm. sad to say. Um, and, but they're, you know, my adult self for sure. And my brothers as well, I have two brothers. Um, and we're stair steps. So we were 12, 13 and 15 when it happened. Um, um, we certainly, <laughs> we certainly today talk about our trauma and how 
that just wasn't normal. And it's so it's it's interesting that it took our late thirties, early forties for us to begin to have that conversation amongst one each, one another. You know that wasn't normal, right? Yeah. You know, like that kind of a thing. And um, and I wonder what insulated us. I think one. And, and it's not necessarily insulated, but what kept us from kind of going there, I think, is is that we did have a big extended family around us. Like, like looking back on it, our aunt le- lived with us, which okay. wasn't normal anyway. She was fleeing a domestic violence relationship herself. Like, like, okay. but but in our brains as kids, it was just our fun aunt lived with us for a time, and she took care of us while. My mother was healing at my grandparents' house and my aunts and uncles, they were around to check on us. You know, we had our cousins around and this, that. So it, it, it you know, kind of kept us from really, really dealing with the trauma. One of the things that we talk about a lot as adults, my brothers and I. So it was a school day when it happened. We spent all night at the hospital the image that's ingrained in our head of that night is seeing our mom after surgery on a bed with blood coming from her mouth dried on her cheek. And we had to go to school the next day. Oh God. Yes. And when I I remember asking my uncle, why do we need to go to school after this happened? And he said, because we can't let one incident put our lives on hold, right? And I think my brothers and I held on to that, healthy or not, and allow and and, and in in points in our lives it fueled our lives forward, and in points of our, of our lives it wasn't so healthy. We didn't have we don't we we haven't we didn't build the muscle to stop and deal with trauma. We built the muscle mm-hmm. to have trauma hit us not deal with it keep moving forward has pros and cons but my, but to your to your other question about family members my mom has been in therapy ever since mm-hmm. um and and that is something that she does unapologetically i did go to therapy after i got pregnant and as somebody who every day leads an initiative to keep black babies and moms safe and behavioral health is part of that. Mm-hmm. And I and I preach behavioral health. I will see here flat out tell you, Dr. Erica, that was the worst experience I had in my life. And I um and it was because that person came to our interaction with a lot of um assumptions about who I was, biases, mm-hmm. and I felt them. I felt them. And um and I didn't like the way that it made me feel and um, about my story and how I got there as a teen mom. And I and I promised my mom, I said, if you never make me go back again, I promise I'll do something with my life. Mm-hmm. And so and so I don't necessarily I use it as a teaching moment for for our team in that. You still be check your biases. <laughs> you got to check your biases, yeah. interact with people as humans. Um, and not just assume some things because my story wasn't the story she was giving me and, and I felt it, but that, that was the only therapy in that kind of space in my life that I experienced. Well, and I appreciate you being open and honest about that because I think it's something my audience needs to hear is that I, 
I look at finding a mental health professional. Um, sometimes it's like it's like dating. You got to find the right one. Um, everyone is not for everybody. And just like any any profession out there, all the way down to the person that cooks fries at McDonald's, there's, they're the people at McDonald's that cook the bomb fries. Yes. I shouldn't be talking about McDonald's fries, but we went back to the video stores. And my childhood was none of us had much money. So, you know, you had a date and you went and you got a, a large fry and you split it and you drove by the arch. I'm for <laughs> That's what we did. You know, uh-huh. if you're living high, you know, living big, you got a cheeseburger and split it too. Um, and we've all had the times where you had bomb fries, times whack fries, mm-hmm. and pretty much any profession, there are some people that are great. There are some people that are, are good, but just not good for you. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that just, they need another job. <laughs> they need to be doing something else. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that I, I talk to the, the residents and students and fellows that I supervise. And one of the reasons I'm a little bit saddened by how the culture has shifted that I don't know if it's the same with psychology and I wonder if their culture has shifted too. But in psychiatry, years and years ago, everybody had to do therapy. Mm-hmm. And it functions for two things because there are those there are those myths out there that all psychiatrists are. Uh, and I'm going to say, I don't use this word, but this is what people talk about is y'all all crazy and weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and the reason a lot of times in these fields it's good to have therapy is number one, number one you want to clean you want to clean and tidy up your own mental house, mm-hmm. and it may not be because you're just a total hot mess, but you want to tie up everything so things don't get skewed, you're not getting triggered or anything like that. The other is to be able to process through and, and start learning where where are your own blind spots. And it's one of the reasons why I even started my telepsych practice is I've also had the experience of my I had a therapist. My therapist wasn't bad. They just weren't good for me. Mm-hmm. That I had the experience that a lot of professional black women have because, you know, I feel like there are these weird biases and misperceptions that can happen from an experience of you being an educated teen mother mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you know, I have some kids and people I work with that, you know, have had some hard lives and, you know, limited resources and whatever to all of us that are professionals in mind kind of looked at me like a unicorn. And instead of it focusing on my healing, they were curious of kind of how, how did I end up at Harvard? I even get there, you know, my therapy didn't have anything to do with anything that was really useful for me um it was useful in teaching me what I didn't want in a therapist and I don't think my therapist was bad they just weren't right for me Mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons I have my practice which is because for especially people of the African diaspora and especially for black women there are special considerations we have that especially in this age that we're in now in this season, no one has the mental energy to just explain the back, the baseline issues of being black in America or being a black woman in America. It takes a lot of energy to try to explain to someone that has no context of it. None. Why this stuff sits in the furthest that ever makes it is the backseat of your mental car. Yep. Yep. Um, And trying to explain that, but I'm, I'm glad you brought out that because it's, 
it's something I want to remind people that there, there is always a possibility that you can pop up on somebody that's just not going to be good for you. That doesn't mean therapy or mental health assistance could not be useful. It just means that person is not good for you. Yeah. It's one of the reasons a lot of us will do consultations. They're just as much for us as for you to make sure it's a good fit mm-hmm. and to make sure you feel comfortable talking to someone because you're not going to get a good therapeutic experience if you don't feel like it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. If you don't feel like it's safe, you're not going to be fully open and honest, which means someone's going to be working on the wrong information. Yep. So all of that is to say, thank you for sharing that they sucked. <laughs> and I have, I've just had some wonderful therapists, but that one there. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's a, a, it's a good educational point for people in healthcare to understand that you need to know, you need to know your blind spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but also to empower people to know when it comes to not just mental health professionals, but any of your healthcare professionals, if you do not feel like they listen to you, hold space for you, are, are neutral, are invested in you, and want to actually hear your story, not they're you. not the one for you. No, ma'am. No, sir. I mean, you don't have to. There are plenty of places you will be disregarded and undervalued and mistreated. Healthcare doesn't need to be one of them. Need to be because it's dangerous when you are. I mean, it, it's dangerous for a lot of reasons. So that's a soapbox of mine. But um, but yeah, yeah. It's okay. I think I just hopped on one. I hopped on a soapbox for a hot second. We we can have our soapboxes. That's why I love it's my podcast as. To remix the old song, it's my podcast. I can say what I want to say, what I want to say, what I want to. <laughs> right, you dare somebody to say something. Say something. <laughs> I, really, you know, I, I, I think these are things we have to talk about. We have to, you know, and this happens. You know, I, I realize part of this is coming out of the context of experiences, lived experiences, Black women. But there are a lot of communities that are just not necessarily treated well or or listened to, especially including the LGBTQIA community. Absolutely. But it also Absolutely. happens with indigenous peoples. Absolutely. The people with limited English. Yep. Limited English proficiency. I'm like, don't get me started on my 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 uh my aches and pains with with different interpreting services. Oh. Don't don't get me started. That's a whole. It's a whole. If they're used at all, I mean, I can't. Well, I, well it's, wow. it's a it's a huge issue in behavioral health, especially in inpatient treatment, because it's like if you hospitalize someone but they don't have a translator, but part of the hospitalization is all this treatment they're supposed to be getting, but they have a translator for 15, 20 minutes of the day, but there are hours of programming. What are they really getting other than just being locked up? Right. Turn I hit another soapbox. It's okay. It's your podcast. But I but I did have one experience someplace and I think it was kind of cool that um when we didn't have people in person that they use video translators. And I think that's very nice. That's still better than phone translators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, very the nice. video gave people a little bit more interaction. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of cool because it was like this iPad that was mounted. It was totally hilarious. I was like, really? This is this is cool. <laughs> I I am totally down for that. Now, something else you mentioned in your, you know, in your narrative is mm-hmm. being an unapologetic Christian woman. Yeah. Um, in the in the world of the black church. Yes, the world of the black church. <laughs> How have you been able, because this is something I, I think a lot of people could maybe pull inspiration from. Mm-hmm. How did you navigate how shame-based the church can be with the fact that part of your life, and this happens for pretty much every human being, I think it's just a matter of, is is part of your life something people can automatically see right. or not? Because I, yeah. I, I think it's very difficult for anybody to, to live 100% within the confines of old school Christianity. Right. In, in this era of life, Mm -hmm. how did you navigate the church and the, the shame and the fact that people knew not only were your teen mother, you'd gotten pregnant, which meant you had to have had sex with somebody that wasn't your husband because you weren't married. How have you navigated with that through the church? Yeah. Listen, all right. So first, first real memory connected to that was when my belly started to pop out. And my mom, by this time, my mom knows. And my mom, so I come down ready for church and I've got on something and the belly's clearly there. And she essentially is like, don't you want to change and put on something a little looser? Because she's still now trying to you know, she got friends in the church that are ministers too, and now she got to face the fact that she has a teen daughter who's don't, pregnant. Don't Everybody get to the mm-hmm. mother, the motherboard. Listen. So, and and she reminds me that I said to her, "It's the belly. The belly's not going away. We're not going to hide it. It is what it is." And, you know, and for me, in my own head, I was like, I know all my friends I go to church with and I know what they doing. And they do. They did stuff worse than I did. I, I did it with one person over here. OK, mm-hmm. and I know what they doing over there. And you just can't. And I know what they've done to handle some things. So you just can see my reality. So I had to stick to that way of thought for a long time of understanding that. To your point, mine was just visible. And others, it didn't make me, um, it didn't make them better than me. It didn't make my struggle any any special or, you know, um, more spotlighted than theirs. Just you could see it. And, um, and so our walks were probably similar. If not, theirs was probably worse. <laughs> so I just had to anchor there. And again, accepting the reality that it's nothing I can do to change this, like, so what what benefit does it give me to try to hide something that that's there? And once she got free, then we started to be excited about a baby coming. It's that the navigation of that never really went away, goes away. Um, it's just that I've been able to use it as a testimony to God's glory. I've been able to turn that thing from a shameful thing to a something that helps many people now. Um, it, to your point, it doesn't have to be teen pregnancy. People are dealing with shame 
every day for things that some people can see and things that are hidden. And, and when I, and sharing my story of, you don't have to let, and that's, that's my mom is life happened to her. Mine is my own bad decisions. So you don't have to let your own decisions that cause trauma or cause adverse outcomes in your life be the end all be all. And so I just changed it. And that was another motivator that I had to make sure my life didn't look like the typical path because I knew that if God was so graceful and merciful to allow me to, to still get, get education and still accomplish goals and dreams, then that, that glorifies him even more. And that gives me the opportunity to, to bring others to him. And so I pray that my life has been and continues to be that. And that's how I navigate that with the black church. And I will say that it, I, I really do believe it makes me a better leader in the black church and that um, a lot of people miss the, the second commandment of love thy neighbor as they, themselves. It's first love God and then it's love thy neighbor as yourself. It, it, all the legalistic rules and all that other stuff, whatever, love them through it. Um, and, and I really try to allow my life to be a reflection of love and grace and compassion regardless of what people are going through, regardless of decisions they made and whether or not they have the desire to change their lives around. Love, love, grace, and compassion because those are the things in my most shameful, darkful moments not that people wrapped around me and made a difference for me. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Better with Dr. Erica. Well, and I, I love that you've made made space in other spaces to also not only, and I can just infer that you're in spaces where you can help people learn to live past that aren't so judgy, yeah. <laughs> but, but also the fact that you've, you've managed to live a lifestyle where you're an example of being empathic and not judgy. <laughs> uh, there are lots of places where people get super judgy, not just super not just judging. the black church. Not, right. Listen, <laughs> the, like the black church does not hold all uh, all the judgment cards. All the we judgment. <laughs> there are a lot of cards out there that a lot of people hold of judgment. It's lots of places, but we we haven't really talked about as much of what you're doing now. Can you tell the audience, tell Better Nation, a little bit about? what you're doing now, because we've talked about some of this educational journey mm -hmm. and how in the midst of being a mother, being on these boards, having this high powered job and doing coaching and doing all these things mm -hmm. that you still are able to make space for yourself in your own life. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So what I do today, so full time, um, I lead a healthcare research program at a major health system where we look to deliver better care. So, mm -hmm. um, I, um, so I'm an operational executive leader of that. And then I have a science hat where I personally investigate um, 
health equity issues and patient safety. So okay. how to keep um, patients who are historically marginalized safer in the healthcare system. And um, as part of my operational hat, I lead a big initiative um, called Safe Baby, Safe Moms, where we really uh, aim to reduce the disparities in, in um, adverse outcomes between Black and white birthing individuals and their babies. And so in that, I provide operational and executive leadership, but I also put my science hat on and elevate the voice of the birthing individual in understanding what happens. We lose way too many black and brown women to, and we hear stories that their family say of, she said that this was going left, but nobody listened. So how do we elevate that voice to really find true opportunities to keep them safer? So that's that's what keeps me busy on the day-to-day. I also um, uh, teach college classes at Georgetown and one other university. And then um, uh, I, I am the vice president of our board of directors at our church, as well as the director of the women's ministry, as well as director of education. Um, so that case, and I sing soprano. And then um, <laughs> on break. Each, but, and, and I think um, a lot of this comes from the same root of wanting to really help people and understand how to help people. The reason I got into healthcare overall, I actually wanted to be a, a, an obstetrician gynecologist growing up and traveled that all the way through pre-med at University of Michigan, then realized um, I don't, I, organic chemistry and physics and them that y'all navigated, but I didn't quite successfully do. So, so went more of the health route, like I really wanted to go to health. So public health is where I landed. But in public health school, like I learned about disparities and why is, why is it that some people have poorer health outcomes than others? It just didn't make sense to me. So that's kind of how I went to this health research route. And I think it's that same route of helping people, especially the marginalized. And, and that so much connects with my faith. It's ridiculous. Like Jesus loved the marginalized. He loved using the underdog. He loved, like God used the folks that were messy and <laughs> had, had the most jacked up choices. And, and so I, I really have a passion for that. Um, and so that's why I wear so many hats at the church. And on Wednesdays, I also teach free on, in a Facebook group um, what we call the kingdom building she shed where I teach the word of God in an easy to understand way. Um, so that women can get the tools they need to shed the mess. They don't, that's our tagline to build God's kingdom on purpose. So I do that. Um, um, because I want women to win and it breaks my heart that there are so many tools in the word of God, but it can be so mysterious and so overwhelming and so complex um, that they don't really get those tools. And so we have fun, fun, fun. I mean, I, I will use a song, a horror movie, Rocky Four, Gizmo. I will use whatever I need to do to get the, the message across. So we deal with things like shame and not letting um, obstacles get us down and that kind of thing. And, um, and then I also really mentor and coach just women professionally. And um, again, there's a lot that that women, especially black women face. 
it professionally that others just don't. Um, we, we carry a lot of weight on our shoulders and we have to work extra hard to get ahead many times. Um, and so how do we, how do we play the game? How do we take care of ourselves and playing the game? Um, talking about things that are important for us, um, talk about things like the superwoman schema and how that impacts our health and our bodies. So I feel like everything I do is just kind of connected to the same core of helping people um, slay obstacles and achieve results. So it's that same, it's that same core. Um, so how, how do, do I help yourself? Of, I do it. So how do I take care of myself? Every at water, but every, every morning, um, I, I work out except Sundays every morning I get up, start my day with a workout. I do things like today, uh, making sure I get my nails done and my toes done. Those, I, those kind of things say no, unapologetically say no, um, uh, with things that don't fit my core mission. Um, unapologetically watch ratchet TV when I want to, um, what's your but, current ratchet TV? Current ratchet, gosh, all the housewives always get me. But I gotta tell you, I was, I was binge watching over the holidays when I usually I usually take off the last two weeks of the year and then another two weeks mm. in the summer um, to take care of myself. But and 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 binge whatever the heck I want to. And it was oh, don't don't judge me, but it was um, I am a killer. I was so into that because so I the what? best. It's called I Am a Killer. Have you heard of that? I don't well, know, Netflix. but I'm writing it down. Okay. I think you would enjoy this because I really, really think you would enjoy this because they are people. It's a documentary series and it focuses on a death row inmate every, every episode. Oh, wow. And, yes. And it interviews the death row inmate. It gives the backstory of the death row inmate. It gives the story of the actual killing. All and it, um, often they interview family, interview the uh, detectives, all that kind of stuff. And almost all the time, no surprise to you probably is that that backstory of that inmate. Society has failed them. You got abuse unaddressed. You've got like the most deplorable kind of conditions and. I just kept binging it. And again, it goes to that compassion pick. You almost walk away like, I ain't saying what you did was right, but doggone it. I can see how you got there with all of that stuff that just went on in your past. And so anyway, I was binge watching that. <laughs> um, yeah, but usually ratchet, ratchet housewives is what usually is. Okay. Is my thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> Oh man. And and I date I date my husband. My husband and I we date every week. I we I we crack up together. We find ways to crack up on a like peeing peeing your pants almost crack up. We go to comedy shows. We you know, I will binge watch anybody's Netflix comedy special, you know, intentionally laughing things out. Um I do give myself permission to cry for about 24 48 hours when mm-hmm. things when things hurt, when I'm frustrated, just get it out. Don't hold it in. Um, try to eat relatively healthy, but then let myself have the treat when I have the treat. That's why I work out six days a week. Um, yeah, I think that's what I do to take care of myself. And of I, course, church. church is good. I'm down for that. Yeah. <laughs> church is good. I, I, I'm cool. <laughs> I like those. You like those? Okay. But I love that you also intentionally date your husband because I've, mm-hmm. 
I feel like I not in every every space that I'm in from my patients to people I consult with to folks I'm chatting it up when I finally leave the house I'm still working on leaving the house more my couch holds me hostage well dang COVID I got real house like all into the house (laughs) with the COVID but one of the things you keep hearing is it's it's so easy that just as we end up having these conversations about what are you doing for you, how are you pouring back into yourself, that life is really busy as adults. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. especially the things that surround relationships or couples is, you know, beyond the, usually somebody's working and you got all the stuff stuff. But then there's family and all of these millions of things, whereas just as you can wither up as a human if you don't pour back into yourself or do things that will feed you, is you also see relationships wither because all of the busyness is going on and there's not intentional pouring back into the relationship, into each each person pouring into their partner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've been really good about that. I will say, so my mom has been married twice, divorced twice. And I've been, this is my second marriage. I, I married my my son's dad and we got divorced. They were like two-year marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, gave it a good old try. Um, hey, but her second marriage, they would date every Friday. And, and that's something my husband and I picked up. We'll be married 17 years in June. And that's something me and my husband picked up from the very beginning, like our dating was at least once a week we date and we just consistently just kept, just kept it up. And so it really is a thing, um, um, that, and we're busy, (laughs) busy, busy. He's, he's just as busy, but we intentionally do that. And sometimes we hit more than, more than once a week and it's become a model to other couples. Like they were like, Angela and David can figure out how to, how to do it every, every week. We can, we, can, we also don't have small kids at home. I try to tell people, please don't shame yourself against, like, we have a different reality. You got two little ones, but yes, be intentional about finding time for you guys. <laughs> Indeed. I think that's the interesting thing about being at this age. I feel like we're probably around the same age because you remember video stores. <laughs> 40, 44. I'll be 44 this year. <laughs> I, I got a little bit on you because I, I remember... I, I, it's like I totally laugh. I remember when like CDs came out, we're all like, "They, we're this like, ain't yeah. gonna stick." I ain't buying no CDs. I don't know what they're talking about with these CDs. <laughs> oh, the oh my gosh! And then it was uh-huh. like, mm, "You don't want no video disc." <laughs> It's like these young people now have no, have do not no understand the, like We're the time when it, it was oh. like, you, you knew you made it when you got a Palm Pilot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. You're like, ooh, you got the stylus, the one with the stylist. Girl. <laughs> I remember when I was upset because I never had a Blackberry. I was like, oh, I have a Blackberry too. Then I realized it was actually good not to have a BlackBerry because everyone that had a BlackBerry was like surgically attached to work. They were. So Mm -hmm. it was actually, it was actually a blessing. I didn't have a BlackBerry. (laughs) Uh, But 
I could talk to you for hours, but I'm not one of those podcasts that has like the three hour episodes. I, I don't listen to too many like that, but there are a couple. I'm like, man, this episode ain't never ending. I, I feel like people are like, we're going to shoot the crap until we get tired of hungry. And when we get tired of hungry, then that's when we stop. That's what episode is. Uh, so um, I definitely will probably have to have you come back. But are you ready to transition into the spirit yeah. now? Yes. Yes. All right. You ready? Yes. The first question is, what is the best compliment that you've ever received? Your teaching helped change my life. Oh, I'm feeling warm and fuzzy. <laughs> like I need to go to your class. <laughs> I hate school now. Med school like killed school for me. I, I was, was going to say, I, I, understood and I and I really I, don't understand but I can understand <laughs> I enjoy learning but the idea of going back to school school it gives I feel like someone has to pay me a million dollars to go mm-hmm. y'all get the uh, award you got the award is y'all have it that that's a whole podcast episode <laughs> it's a whole whole situ- whole situation uh my next question is what is one piece of advice that you'd like to tell your younger self that it will all make sense in the end. It will all make sense. Girl, I feel like you you like I have these inspirational quote cards. I feel like you should just write <laughs> Not a, it. It's a quote. I feel like you should be like these are quotes. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely for what you've told me, it sounds like there are plenty of times that that would that 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 would come in handy. But I I, I love that as a message because there's. There's so much angst to ha- that happens when anyone feels out of control or mm-hmm. that things are out of their control, mm-hmm. that anything that can just calm things down. Because the other thing is, you know, we all know about fight, flight, and freeze. It's like mm-hmm. your brain's not going to work at its best when you are panicking. Yep. Yep. So you're not going to come up with the quickest, most effective solutions, the fastest. Yeah. In panic. Nope. Mm-mm. My last one is, what is your superpower? I can't wait. I'm leaning in to hear this. I, <laughs> you are funny. I really can teach. I can make really complex issues simple. I can teach them simply. Well, I'm down with that, and I'm glad you're in public health. You, <laughs> the funny thing is, after you probably finished all this, you realized, that was that moment you realized, I'm glad I didn't do that. Listen. <laughs> I, I was I sitting there no like, regrets. No I was regrets. like, uh, you probably came out with a much better deal. <laughs> no regrets. And I, <laughs> I, listen, and I love y'all. I love y'all MCs. Y'all, like, a lot of y'all is my friends, friends, but I'm good. Like, <laughs> Well, and I have a lot of friends that are OBGYNs too. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, conversations around medicine, especially in obstetrics and gynecology. That's a whole episode a whole right episode. there. It, I mean, it, it was a hot, there are numerous things around there that was a hot mess before all of this literal, mm-hmm. literal war on reproductive rights. So, yes. so yes. And you ended up someplace that's much needed. I keep thinking I need to have an episode and have some folks on with public health. Cause I feel like a lot of people, don't truly understand what public health is and what people do in public health, especially because it's not as valued in this country. Yeah. It's a whole nother soapbox. Yep. Agree. 
I wish I could see well, all the side the eyes I have for the society. <laughs> you need to think about making your your podcast video, honey, because the, <laughs> they are missing out on all the looks. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very much known for all the faces I make. <laughs> there was one right there. <laughs> I make all the faces. Um, so do you have any final thoughts or takeaways you have for the folks in Better Nation? Better. Um, just, just keep moving. Deal with the things that you need to deal with. Don't push them under the rug. Face them. Get help. Um, but understand that it doesn't have to paralyze you. There is a path forward. And find find your tribe, find your support system, use them as safe spaces to get it out, um, and keep moving forward. Like like, don't let somebody tell you life is more serious than it needs to be. It don't have to be that serious. So there you go. That's all I got. I'm down for that. Now the <laughs> next thing is, where can people find you if you want to be found? <laughs> Um, uh, um, my, all my social media handles are Dr. Angela D. Thomas, Dr. Angela D. Thomas. And then, um, if you still like to go to websites, you can go to AngelaDThomas.com and you can find me. Um, if you are interested in any spiritual teaching free on Wednesdays, you can find us in the kingdom building. She shed, just type that into the Facebook group and you will find us, um, Wednesdays at 7 PM. So that's pretty much where you can find me hanging out. The king, was it the kingdom women she shed or the kingdom building she shed? You got it. The kingdom building she shed. Okay, I thought so. All right, yeah. All right. I, I just think that name is so cool, especially yeah. after that one commercial where the lady kept saying, you messed up my she shed. That's exactly. That's like, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? And I, I have this. That's another way I take care of myself is that I love to refinish furniture and I love to do outdoor wood work kind of stuff. Like I redid my deck during COVID by myself. Like I redid my cabinets. Like I just love doing stuff like that. So I'm kind of known for having a tool belt, you know, so it just fit for a number of reasons. And I have a shed. I have a she shed. I've always had a she shed. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm here for the she said. She said, <laughs> I'm saying she said, she said, she, she said, said about a she shed. She said in the she shed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I feel like you have blessed my day. I feel like, I feel like I had the greatest conversation and went to church all simultaneously. I feel like the spirit was here. See, that's the vibe. That's the vibe. Of the she shed. You had a she shed hour. That's what you. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> so first I say thank you for taking time out of your not only busy schedule, but taking time away from time that could have been used for your own self-care to do quality time with myself and the people at Better Nation. This has definitely been a treat, and I, re I really feel like this is information that's helpful for everyone. And I even learned some stuff. So I'm so excited. I'm that's just cool. beyond overexcited. Um, my final thoughts, I have two. I feel like I'm, I'm just leaning up, just getting ready, like, like I'm standing <laughs> at a podium just – Two steps away from when you like click through the cards and like, I ain't speaking from the cards. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to say, y'all, for some reason today, I have no reason why I'm just being extra dramatic. <laughs> I, just, I just feel so dramatic today. 
but my my first thing is is when you when you look around and you're feeling on edge or you're feeling stressed or if you have to ask yourself was something that happened in your life jacked up see somebody because mm-hmm. one of the things we talked about about Dr. A's story is that especially in a lot of communities, there's so much trauma that happens in the community that when people experience trauma, it doesn't even register as trauma. If you're if you're in an environment that has crime or you're in an environment where a lot of people have food insecurity or there's domestic violence or a high level of, of racism, abuse, anything that you know, I'll, I'll speak from my experience of being of the African diaspora is that people are so baseline traumatized that I can ask someone, have you experienced trauma? They'll say no. When I start listing what it is, it's like, yes. You know, when, when you're like in my life, I've had a boss that called me a cuss word. Well, that was traumatic. When, so it's not just the assault, rape, your whole whole house burned down or somebody was shooting at you in war. I said in war because I know there are a lot of people that have been shot at in their community and they don't necessarily think that is trauma because numerous people are getting shot in their community. Is that we've got to stop normalizing trauma. Yeah. Because when we normalize trauma and don't give it space to recognize it, to get it treated, it shows up in funky ways later. Mm-hmm. Because one of the ways I see trauma showing up for so many people is their ability to find safe spaces, to find safe people, and to feel that they are safe. And sometimes they can't even feel like their own body is safe. And that shows up in relationship. It shows up in your ways you're able to work. It can lead to substance abuse, other mental health disorders. But it just jacks up quality of life when there is a variety of treatment out there that isn't just medication. So at the end of the day, I think my big message, everybody needs a therapist. Everyone needs a safe space to land, someone that is going to be non-judgmental, hold space for you, that you don't have to do any of the mental gymnastics. I literally was on a talk on... Um, recently for blackdoctor.org. And we were talking about part of the reason you need these people is in in real life, I can't count how many times I've heard people say, oh, they didn't want to tell someone something because the other person was under stress or had a lot going on in their life or things like, you know, I don't know if I should, this, this shouldn't be an issue because what you're going through is more than what I'm going through. Oh my God, they're going through so much. I don't, I can't even bother them with my problems or what are they going to think when I tell them this or is part of the reason it's great to have a mental health professional or someone that does therapy because pretty much almost every mental health professional can do therapy, but then there are some special, special things that only certain, um, certain groups can do. And, um, reminder again, psychiatrists can do therapy. I do therapy. Is that the amount of capacity you have to use trying to decide who can you tell what? It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. 
And the great thing about having someone that it is their job to hold a safe space for you, that you don't have to worry about their feelings or offending them, is that then you get that safe space to land so that you're not caring so much. Because at the end of the day, I just feel like the human experience is, is spent way, it's, there's too much time basically carrying rocks in a backpack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the reasons why when people are comfortable with their faith and feel like their faith serves them, because there are times where faith and spirituality are not all (laughs) with the person, but when you're, when you're engaged in a faith that feels aligned with your values and pours back into you, is that part of the reason they look at faith and prayer and studies with specifically also with depression and how it can impact it as then people feel like there's a higher power that can assist. So basically a higher power that can take some of these rocks off your back mm-hmm. that might also be able to give you a better backpack might even be able to give you a bag with wheels and a handle with less stuff in it. So all that to say is quit doing everything by yourself. Amen. <laughs> so Amen. I think I, I've been on this soapbox enough today. We've had a soapbox, she shed, <laughs> kingdom come to Jesus, everything today. <laughs> uh, but I just want to say thank you, all of you, for showing up. Because you know what? When you showed up today, you showed up for yourself. And when you show up for yourself, that's going to help give you that mental energy and that emotional energy so that you can show up for others, but you have to pour into yourself first. Again, thank you, Dr. A, for all of the quality time. Um, out there, everyone, you you know how to find me. You know, we're all about better with Dr. Erica here today. But I want to remind you, if you like what you heard, please um, share the podcast. Don't let us be a Best kept secret. And the other thing is, is if you share it, then we can have more people that are in a life that they can be better, do better, and live better. And the more people around you like that, then that energy just grows. And we, I want to be the pebble in the pond. Help me be the pebble in the pond. So we talked about sharing. The next thing, if you like what you heard, please, please, please follow or subscribe. Number one, you know, I love dropping bonuses, so you'll get notified of the bonuses. The other thing is it helps me get even better content for you. And the last thing is please rate and review five stars, please. I am that Uber driver today, five stars. Um, That's all I got for you. I want you to give yourself a little love. Take your left hand, put it on your right arm. Take your right hand, put it on your left arm. Give yourself a big, humongous, warm squeeze because you deserve it unless you're driving. Then you got to wait till you get where you're going. Um, But That's all I got for you today. Until next time, have an even better day. I love all y'all. Don't forget you matter. Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica. 